Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week five of our study of the book of James, and today I wanted to go through the scripture we did last time, and then add on the final verses of chapter one to put this chapter to a close. While I was doing my study on this, I found a connecting scripture that perfectly complements what is going on here, and it is found in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read the scripture first in the book of James, and then I will read what it says in Matthew chapter 5 to accompany this. So let me go ahead and begin with a word of prayer today. Lord God, we thank you for bringing us back here to your word. We love your word, Lord, or we wouldn't be here. We seek your truth, we seek your love, we seek wisdom, and ultimately, Lord, we seek a relationship with you that cannot be so easily broken. Lord, help us to understand what religion really is, and that religion is not the final outcome, but rather a relationship with you that is unbreakable and continues to grow day by day. Please help us to understand this more as we look ourselves in the mirror with honesty and with transparency to see where we are at fault, where we are struggling, where we are holding on to things that we should not. And help us to discard those things, Lord, so that we can seek you with a whole heart and with a whole mind. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go ahead and read the scripture again, beginning in chapter 19 of James chapter 1 to the end of the chapter. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So we come back to this piece of scripture again, because there is more to glean from here. As we have said many times, we are merely scratching the surface in this study. You could spend years dissecting this scripture, and you would not exhaust everything you could find here. So last time we were here, we took a careful look at what it means to conduct ourselves according to the word of God. We saw that we need to be quick to hear which means we need to listen more, 
We need to shut our mouths more so that we can receive the goodness of God in prayer and in His Word. And we need not be hasty in our conversations with others. We need to allow people the opportunity to speak so that we can get to the root of what is going on with people. Whether you're counseling someone, whether you're witnessing to somebody, it's amazing what you can learn by simply just listening without asking a lot of questions. So we need to be people who are willing to listen, we're not to speak impulsively, and we are to be slow to anger. We are to be in control of our emotions. At the same time, though, we do not accept unrighteous things. We do not entertain things that we know God would be angry about. Yet at the same time, if we don't know what anger is God, then we're in trouble too because we do not know our Lord at all. So what he asks us to do is to receive the word that has already been implanted into you, the Holy Spirit of promise, bringing the gospel to your heart and regenerating you. It's already there. You simply have to believe it and embrace it and then share it with others. But of course, most importantly, We need to have a full understanding of what that gospel is and what it means, because that is what is able to save your soul. That is what you believed in, and that is what has caused the lordship of Christ to be over your life. And certainly, we as believers want more people to be under the lordship of Christ. So why wouldn't we want to understand the very basis of our salvation? So it's not simply just learning as much as you can in the Bible. It's not about how good you are at Bible trivia. It's not about how many books of the Bible you can memorize. But it is to understand the deeper truths that God has for us in here. Because once we fully believe what we are reading, it should cause us to be obedient to it. If we read the Bible and we don't do what it says... The Bible calls us a hearer. You're hearing what the Word is saying, but you're not really listening to it. Because if you were actively listening to the Word of God, then you would be a doer of the Word. You would be acting. There should be some form of action that shows that you are taking the steps necessary to obey God in all things. If we are not that kind of person, then we are like looking in the mirror and not recognizing who we are. Or I've even had those times where I look at myself in the mirror just out of habit, but I didn't really look at myself, you know? And so I walk away not really remembering what I looked at. But here's the reality of our situation. If we look in a mirror, what we should really be seeing is Christ. Christ in you. Because that's what you are. You have been made clean in the sight of God. You have been rescued from eternal damnation. You have been created into a new creature that resembles your Savior. And day by day by day, we are being sanctified. We are conforming to the image of Christ through the work of the Spirit and by the command of the Father. That is who we are. We are no longer our own identity, but rather we identify with Christ. And if that's the case, 
when we look in the mirror, what should we see now? We should not see ourselves. We should not see our past selves, the one that we left behind in our ignorance. But rather, we should every day see more and more of Christ in our lives. And if we don't, there's something seriously wrong, because that means we are not doers of this word. So, ladies and gentlemen, do not forget what face is in the mirror. Not only yourself to hold yourself accountable and not ignoring the convictions of the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be active doers of the word, as it says here, effectual doers, where you're doing it and it is effective because you are doing it as God has desired you to do. We need to look at the law, the law of liberty, the perfect law, as it says here, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God is the instruction manual on how to be a Christian, as well as for all the issues of life, really. So if we do that, the Bible says that we will be blessed in what we do. So if we claim that we are going to be doers of the word, which I hope you are, what should it look like? The answer is not that you should be religious, because religiosity is the pitfall for many people. What exactly is religion, really? Religion is a prescribed set of methods or traditions or rituals, sacraments, that are done to act out a particular belief system. There are lots of religions in the world, and they do all sorts of things for each religion, right? And they're all different. Some pray at certain times of day facing a certain direction, right? Some require you to sacrifice Christ on an altar every Sunday at the Catholic Church. Some ask you to pray to multiple gods. Some have you do all sorts of weird dances and pierce yourselves, and the sky's the limit as to what religion could be. But what does the Bible say religion is? I don't think there's any better place to find out what religion should be in the sight of God than to hear it from the mouth of our Lord himself. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. The Word says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. And this is important because the law and the prophets not only was historical in nature and described the rescue plan that God had for his people, But we know there are several areas of the Bible where there was lots of ritual that was introduced. There were lots of traditions that they were required to keep. There were lots of things that they were to do to atone for their sins at the temple, requiring the blood of animals and several key areas of godly living. That's religion. Now, here's what Jesus says about all this. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, the whole Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So everything in the Old Testament was leading up to Christ. It was a foreshadowing. It was a sneak preview, if you will, 
of what Jesus came to do and what was going to come after. Verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, in the original Greek, it mentions the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is called a yot, which kind of looks like an apostrophe for us. That is what he means by the smallest letter. That was a letter called a yot. The other one was called a stroke in my translation, or in yours, it might be a serif, which is a small little projection at the end of a letter. If you look at the Hebrew letters, sometimes one will look like an N, for example, a letter N, but then you'll see another little N next to it that has a little longer tail on it, or a little squiggly at the end of it. That is what he's talking about as that small little extra part there, as being the stroke. So even those small minor details in the Bible, none of it will fade away until all of it has been accomplished. Everything that the Old Testament has said would happen is going to happen, if it has not already. As God himself said in the Old Testament, he sends out his word and it does not return to him void. Rather, it always accomplishes what he intends it to do. Verse 19, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Please don't miss this. This is extremely important, what he's saying here, regarding what we have read in James. If we are to be doers of the word, we are to obey all of it. We are to obey the great commandments, such as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but even the ones that are the least of all. And there are several hundred commands that are in the Bible, and we are intended to keep them all. We cannot keep them all perfectly, of course, because we're human beings. We're going to mess up every now and then. But we should act toward completion of all these And it's all a heart attitude, and I hope we realize that. It's not all about religion. Religion itself is worthless if your heart is not in it. If you truly love God, then you will want to obey him. And that's what God really looks for in his people. He wants his people to choose to obey him because they want to be loyal to him, they want to honor him, they are demonstrating their love for him by taking him seriously. The worst thing you could do is to choose to disobey God, first of all, but secondly is to act like a certain command or a certain law doesn't apply to you. And that is sad, because it says here that if you annul even the least of these commandments, either by action or by whatever, you will be considered the least in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say you're not going to heaven, right? Let's understand that. Once you're saved, you cannot lose your salvation, if you truly have it. But 
God does seem to give certain people degrees of honor in the kingdom based on your obedience on earth. This is very important, and I hope that we take this very seriously, because we certainly would want to invest in our lives now so that we can reap eternal reward. I can't even imagine what heaven is going to be like. But to have the very thought that what I do now could have implications for millions of years ahead of me, it certainly has to be important. Not only because God said it, but this life is very short compared to eternity. So why wouldn't I want to do that? So let's look at the other side, what he says is great in the kingdom of heaven. He says if we keep the laws and the commandments, and we teach them. Teach them to who? We should be teaching them to each other as Christians, at church, amongst ourselves, in fellowship. But we also have the responsibility to teach younger Christians, ones that have not been in the faith very long, as mentors. You should have someone that you should be mentoring. But not only that, but some of us, like myself, have kids. And we have a responsibility to teach our children the ways of the Lord. There will be a time they have to make the decision themselves, but while they're under your roof, they are your responsibility, and you have a command from God to teach your children the ways of God and hopefully lead them to Christ before they leave your house. So consider what he's not saying here. Let's, let's flip it. Let's say if it's not keeping and teaching them, what is the opposite of that? If you disobey and not teach. So what I'm getting at is that if we choose to not obey the laws and commands of God, and we choose not to teach them to our children, and instead we show them a bad example, we are failing in our religion. That is not religion. That is a lack of religion, except perhaps the religion of worshiping yourself. Now, here's an important thing to know. We're not done yet. Look at verse 20, and I'll stop with verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, hold on. I thought the Pharisees and the scribes were the villains of the story. I thought they were the bad guys, the ones that hated Jesus and ended up killing him. No, 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 no. We shouldn't look at it like that. Yes, they were wrong in what they did. They did not recognize their Messiah. But let's recognize them for what they were. They were very religious people. They took their faith very seriously. Even Jesus complimented them sometimes in how he said, you will go over land and sea to find one convert. He then says that he, you make them a double servant of hell, something like that. But he compliments them by saying, you are willing to go over land and sea to make one convert. What is that? That's evangelism. That's outreach. That's witnessing. The Pharisees did a lot of things right. They obeyed the law to what they thought was the best of their ability. 
They obeyed the letter of the law, but they didn't understand the spirit of the law. They took their faith very seriously, and to disobey that faith was a punishable offense. So consider that as a Christian. Do we take our faith in Jesus Christ as seriously as the Pharisees did with theirs? They thought they were obeying God. They thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they had communion with God. They prayed often. They did all the things that looked proper to the world around them. They were the most religious people. They were the most devout, pious people you could find. And yet it was all empty. So that's what I'm leading up to back in the book of James. Religion is empty if it is not done properly. So let's go back to James. Go back to James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, here we go, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. If you have built up for yourselves an illusion that you are living a godly life because you go to church, because you take the Lord's Supper, because you pray at the dinner table, because you read your Bible every so often, because you have Christian friends, that's simply not religion. That is not enough. You're worse than the Pharisees if that's the case. Your heart needs to be in it all the way, 100%. Religion is worthless if your heart is not in it. If you don't care about God, if you don't want to know anything about Him, if you don't seek His face constantly, then your religion is worthless. Why even bother doing it? it because it's, it's empty. There's, you're not accomplishing anything. You have deceived yourself. And not only that, but you are not bridling your tongue. You are speaking foolishly and perhaps saying things that do not honor God in any way. But thank God that he gives us an answer of how it should properly look in verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Note who the audience is. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. It's not about what people around you think. It's what God thinks, and he's the only one that matters. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this. Here's the answer. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, that's one, and to keep oneself unstained by the world, that's two. If you want to add a third one, you could say bridling the tongue, controlling your tongue, would be a third. That is real religion. So what is James saying here? It is more than just looking the part. Your religion should bear fruit. There should be evidence of your faith that you sincerely care about the things of God. And if you truly care about the things of God, 
you know that he is a defender of the helpless. And therefore, we, by extension, need to be defenders of the helpless, such as the orphans and such as the widows. It is not limited just to that, but those are constantly, throughout all of human history, people that need to be defended. Orphans don't have anyone. Widows don't have a man to protect them anymore. They need a defender, and you need to be that person who can help. There are many other people that fit in this category, such as the homeless, the mentally ill, emotionally distressed, drug addicts. There are many who could fit into this category. But these are people who cannot help themselves, and so God uses you to help them. So don't shut your heart off from other people. Love your fellow man, and if you do things like this, you are actively obeying what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's the whole point. The whole point of this is to love other people above yourself. And then it says to keep oneself unstained by the world. And what does it mean for yourself to be unstained by the world? Think about our Lord Jesus. He is God incarnate, and he walked among us for 33 years. Not once did he ever sin. He walked among people like you and me, and people far better and far worse than us. And yet, the whole time, he never changed who he was. He never compromised his morals. He never was swayed by people. He was a constant, just like he has always been, because he's God. But we need to be the same way, too. We cannot allow external influences to define how we live and how we worship. We need to be separate from the world system in how we conduct ourselves. And the only way we conduct ourselves is according to what the Word of God says. That is pure and undefiled religion. And if you were to live unstained by the world, in effect, what are you doing? You are obeying the commandments of God, right? That means you are living in a way that is pleasing to your Lord. Therefore, you are completing the other great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do you see how this all comes full circle? At the end, by being obedient to what true religion is, you are obeying God, and you are demonstrating your love for Him, and you are loving your fellow man from the heart, not out of compulsion, not out of religious pressure, but because you want to, because you have a Christ-like heart. This is what it means to be a Christian. You keep your mouth shut when it comes to saying stupid stuff. You love your Lord, in, not only in word, but in deed, and you love your fellow man, not just in word, but also in deed. That is true religion. And that is what it means to be obedient to the word of God. That is what it means to be a doer of the word. So, with that in front of us, I hope we know what we need to do now. The Lord has given us exactly what 
he requires from us. His word is available to all. Through prayer, he is readily accessible. Because once you close your eyes and you focus and you open your heart to God, you are immediately in front of his throne in heaven. That is the kind of spiritual connection you have with your father. And he is ready to listen to you. But at the same time, he has something he needs to tell you, too. And you need to listen as well. It's all available to you right now at no cost, and it does not require a ton of time. So what are we waiting for? If we need to get right with God, if we need to repent, this is the time to do it. If we need to understand what true religion is, read James chapter 1 again. Read this. This will make all the difference in being an obedient child of God versus a fumbling fool. And we do not want to be that. We do not want to be hypocritical. We don't want to be Pharisaic. But rather, we want to be obedient children of our Master. And with that, I think that's a good place to stop for today. We have finished James chapter 1. And next time, we will go into James chapter 2. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.